Welcome to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. On this show, we interview agritourism farmers, authors, leaders, and influencers who share their insights on growing and monetizing your agritourism business. Here's your host, Dustin Reed. Hi, welcome to The Recurring Plot, a show that talks about all things RVs and how to re- earn recurring passive income from your property. Today, we have a special guest joining us. His name is Norm Spivey. Norm is a retired Army veteran, author, a rental property investor, and a business owner. Norm's expertise is creating passive income with land and property that makes him a perfect guest to discuss the financial truths and strategies that can help you and all of us achieve our financial goals. So let's dive in and learn from Norm's experiences and the insights that he has to build wealth and generate passive income. So thanks for joining us today, Norm. Thank you, Dustin, for the opportunity. We're excited to have you. I want to first and foremost, thank you for your service. I've had, I have family members that also serve in different branches of the, of military service. So I just want to give you my thankfulness for your service and everything that you've do. Can you talk a little bit, a bit about that? How, how did you get into the service or what kind of, what what's the story behind you going into the army? So like, like a lot of folks grew up in rural middle Tennessee on a farm and knew I, I needed to go to college, but was the, the first person in my family to actually be able to get admitted and was was moved out when I was 18, was working a job and trying to go to school and really kind of lacked direction and purpose. And the Army ROTC recruiter in our in our college student union there got a hold of me and I probably looked like a prime candidate there. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I was in, in Army ROTC and thankfully I was able to get a, a scholarship. So it helped. First and foremost, it was, it was a means to, to, to pay for school. But then it, it obviously became so much more than that, just really a profession like none other changed me in every way imaginable. But I spent 24 wonderful years serving as an Army Air Defense Artillery Officer and loved every minute of it, miss it. But it's been four years removed now and on, on to bigger things. Yeah. And because I think that's something maybe, and you can maybe speak on this because I've, I've had family members that had a hard time transitioning from being whatever branch service that they're in, and then just going back to civilian life. How, how was that transition for you? And what, and I know everyone's different on how they served and how they come out retiring and everything else. How was that for you? And what kind of was, what, what were some of the hurdles that you faced when you retired from the army? I, I really appreciate that question, Dustin. That it is, it is a service in the military is such a consuming profession. It, it does take some time to transition back to a civilian. And, and that's the biggest thing you got to realize is, hey, but the minute you put on a uniform, you're, you're going to have to take it off sooner or later. We, we came into the military as civilians and, and you're going you're gonna to leave and go be a civilian again. But that's easier said than done. And mm-hmm. some of the challenges, and, and I'll quick shameless plug, it, 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 and I'm still, I still consider myself a, a transitioning soldier from, right. from the army, even though it's been four years and I'm, I'm pretty much back to full-time being a civilian, but I, I wrote a book about it. It's actually available on on Amazon, Military Retirement and AAR, where I just I just captured over about a hundred pages of just from making the decision to get out to finding a job to dealing with the VA and 
and all those things. It, it, it's, it's a lot. And again, and some veterans struggle with it. And, and I would just hope that any veteran that was really having some challenges would, would, would get some help and, and you can find, find so many folks to, to talk to. That's a great thing that you've done is just kind of talking about that with your book, I'm sure, where you're, you're speaking to those people that were that, especially that transition and finding the tools that they could, they could help to help them. Actually, the, the book is available for free from my website, normspivy.com on, on ebook. And I found that it's one thing I've learned about writing. Surprisingly, folks still like paperbacks. I, I figured <laughs> uh, ebooks were the thing nowadays, but uh, paperbacks are, are still popular. So uh, e- ebooks free on my, my website. And then if you, if you want a paperback, it's, it's on Amazon. So. Perfect. So we'll, we'll go ahead and make sure we plug that as well. well. We'll put that in the show notes, wherever people are watching or listening to the podcast. And not only that, you also have other other books. Your comp, I think you have, is it four books that you've authored? That's correct. Two, two kind of main works and then two are, are more just for me, if you will, both kind of military mm-hmm. lifestyle focused. So, Yeah, because I was looking at that on your website and it seemed like and it was really cool because I even saw you on another podcast. I, it was a military one, though. And so I kind of was watching. I believe I was watching you on that. So I, I really love that you you found it seems like you found this passion in, in writing is and how's that how's that come about? Well, I, it's it's funny you mentioned I just I just blogged about it and and I, I've always enjoyed writing. I did pretty good at English in high school. Fun fact: I I took the AP exam. I think it was the only one my school offered in CLEP. So. I never took a, an English class in college, and maybe it shows in my writing, I don't know, but I, I did enjoy it. And then surprisingly in the military, and that's actually one of my books, is it's called Writing to Lead. And a lot of people may not know, in my 24-year career, I spent about four years just in a straight academic environment. And the military, and that, that was just the Army, other services may, may even put more emphasis on on research, on writing, expressing in, in what we call written communications, very mm-hmm. clear and concise. So I did I did kind of learn to write in the military style. So when I when I got out of the military, really what I see writing as it's it's just therapeutic for me. It's a way to kind of just be introspective and reflect on where I've been, where I want to go. And and the added bonuses if, if some of my some of my experiences could help someone, then then what a what a great sense of personal satisfaction. And then and then lastly, hopefully someday my kids or their kids would see come across one of these books or, or the blog or something and say, Wow, look at look at what granddad's talking about. He's crazy or something. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> I mean we definitely seem tri- times have changed, right? As far as especially the society has changed quite a bit from, I guess, what a lot of people are used to. And you've just been retired for, for four years, right? So how did you make that transition from being a, having a successful military career to becoming an, and being an investor in, in rental properties? So it, it actually happened kind of simultaneously. So I, we bought our first rental property in 2008 while I was on active duty. I was stationed at, I think, it, I think it's called Fort Cavazos now. It used to be Fort Hood in Colleen, Texas. And the, the wife and I, we, we saved up our, our money, about 25% for a down payment and bought a little duplex. And we lived in one side and rented out the other. 
And uh, that uh, the, the cool thing about that, the way military pay is structured, you get a housing allowance, right? So, so when you're collecting rent on one side of the duplex, you, you pocket your, what's called BAH or allowance for housing. Well, it doesn't take long till you, guess what? You've got, you've got a 25% to buy another duplex. So in the course of a three-year assignment there in, in Colleen, Texas, we, we purchased three duplexes and that took some sacrifice. So the kids were toddlers and we were in about 1200 square feet and it was a little bit cramped, but we're, we're, we still own those properties out in Colleen and they're doing well. And, and just that's, that's how we got started. And then later on, I actually acquired most of our rental properties while I was on active duty. My, my final assignment was at, at Redstone Arsenal. And it just so happened and that's in Northern Alabama, if you're not familiar with the location. And, and it was just a great market at the time. We were able to get some great deals on, on multifamily and some single family properties. And it just kind of snowballed really over the years. So that now that was in 2008. So that was when, wasn't that when the housing crisis was? So was that like during the crisis, like, or is it like right after, or what's the it, timeline like for that? It was it was right after, and and funny you should mention it. I think our first the the first home, and this was when we were living in a duplex. I, I mean, I mentioned we had to put 25 percent down the bank, and and no offense to any bankers out there, but they they kind of talked to you like you were a you were a criminal or something. How dare you ask for money? And I think my interest rate was like 5.8 or something. And that was just a few years ago. And now we're, we're all in kind of shock about, about current interest rates. But but we've been there before and not too long ago, if you think about it, just right. about 15 years. So, but yeah, obviously the, we, we certainly refinanced that, that property <laughs> once, once rates dropped and, and, but yeah, it was, it was a little bit, those first couple of properties, you, you, there was no, you had to have 25% down and, and uh, you better put your best foot forward with the bank to get the loan. So obviously you, you're refinancing, but you're also having a risk of someone, your property value goes up with that. So what's kind of the trade-off of, I mean, obviously you're getting locking in a lower rate, you're going to be paying less interest over time. So can you walk through some of the benefits of doing that versus going through the refi and, and kind of explain the benefits of doing that? Sure. And, and I've, I've actually a, a blogged about it on, on several occasions. I, one, one thing I always say, life's a math problem. You got to make the math work and, and really refinance. That's, that's all it's, that's what it's all about. How, how long are you going to hold the investment? Generally, if, if you're not, you're, you're not getting a point or two, if you're not able to refi for, for more than a, a point, point and a half, or preferably about two points, it's probably not worth your time. But you're going to have a break-even point where the cost of the refinance, and, and what I like is about three years, if you can break even in about three years, absorbing those costs of the refinance. Those are just some of the metrics that I use. But definitely, you got to watch the most. We've refinanced five or six of our loans. I mean, it's, it's just something you got to watch and do the math, get out the pencil. And for long-term investment, it's, I think it's it's a key part of, of keeping keeping the passive income stream yep. going and viable. And, and what are, I mean, obviously you're doing multi, it sounds like you're doing multifamily units, duplexes. Have you, are you doing a, apartments at all? Or is it only like duplexes, like, or plexes kind of that you're doing? Yeah, no, we've, duplexes are, we've, we've looked and, and made offers, but, but we've never closed on, on any three or triplexes or, or quadplexes. I think probably most people know if, if you get over four units, 
five or more units than you are getting into an apartment type complex. You usually got to get the business financing or, or something to that effect. And, and we just formed our LLC back in 2016. So initially these were all just personal conventional loans as an investment. We, we did, we do have a couple of small condo units, not, not beachfront or resort or anything, but, but here in, in Northern Alabama that do very well, but, but duplexes, I got, I got to be honest and I'm probably biased. I, I just think they're for, again, when you do all the math, the expenses, usually you can get a little higher rent because they're, they're, they might be bigger, three bedroom, two bath of that nature. Some, some of ours have a garage and I, I just think duplexes are the most bang for the buck. Right. Uh, and I'm sure, because obviously when you ha- you're having renters, you're going to have, you have risks uh, involved with that. You're going to have additional costs like upkeep and stuff like that. What are the risks when doing these type of investments, when you have multifamily dwellings and stuff like that? What are some of the, the downsides of, of investing in this? Well, it's a, I've, I've written at length about Rental property investing is it's a people business, mm-hmm. uh, and and also we we're throwing this term around here and we we all do it. We're calling it passive income, but that that's what the IRS calls it. I got that, but it's it's anything but. If you're if you're if you're going to own and manage your own properties, it's it's a bona fide side hustle, because because plumbing don't break on a Tuesday afternoon. It's it's Saturday night or or Sunday night, whatever, and and so so those are the risk is really. I'd say the number one risk, and this is if you're managing your own property. Now, now we still hold our properties in Texas. We've had a relationship with a wonderful property management company, but they're going to take their cut, which right. we, we've been with them for several years, so we get a pretty good rate. But nowadays, if you're just starting a relationship, it could be a, a pretty substantial cut. But what's your time worth? So, so the risk, to long way of answering your question, to me, it's time. If you if you really want passive income, you, you're going to have to pay for it, hand over run, running the the activity to a to a property manager, and uh, and pay that property manager for it. But if you do it yourself, it, it's a side business. Make no mistake. Right, because right. it sounds like it's something that it could be like you're saying. It's definitely you want to make sure your your renter, your your tenants, and everything else have that relationship. Because I've heard some scary scary situations. I'm I hope that hasn't happened with you or anything like that, or I'm sure that that happens from time to time, but how, how long typically do you have your tenants for? That's, that's a great question. And, and that, that definitely is part of the calculus that, that figures into the math when you're looking at a rental because tenant turnover costs money. I mean, every time you're, you're going to have to do some level of work on the property to, to get it back up to standard, to re-rent it. That's why long-term tenants are, are like gold. And, and one thing we've seen, it's kind of funny, it's, it's, everybody knows nationwide rents have just increased dramatically. So we have some long-term tenants that, that we had kind of before the big, the big spike in, in rental income and really COVID and a lot of things. And we made the conscious decision as a business practice, as a business value, we, we weren't going to gouge and just, just raise the rent dramatically, even if, if, if that's what market rent is. So, mm-hmm. so some of our, our units, we, we rent it at, at below market to folks that have mm-hmm. been there four or five years. And, and to me, again, it's, it's the cost benefit there of if you alienate them and they, they go seek, go find a different place, then, then you're going to have to spend a few thousand dollars to, to, to reset the property. And so it's, it's just all part of the, 
and, and you've got to think about those things kind of before you get into it. You've got to establish, okay, these are my, my business principles, my business values, mm-hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to do modest rent increases. I'm not going to, I'm not going to jack rent up by $300 a month just because I know I can get it. I'm going to bump it $50 upon lease re-signing. And those are just, uh, it's a people business. I've, right. it's a, it's a chapter in one of my, or a portion of one of my books. And definitely you've got to take all that. And, and to your point about kind of the nightmare stories, you can find some of my work online. I, I've, I've had, had a few of those and just being from the army, it, it, it's, it's not real hard to surprise me, but I still get surprised. You just never know. Yeah. I, I have a close friend that he does a lot of this. He actually does apartment buildings, which he, he does very well because we're in Idaho. And so I'm sure in Texas, you kind of gotten the same thing with your properties in Texas, where you're getting the California, <laughs> the California rush kind of going to those States or people moving from, even from people from New York going to a to Florida, people from California going to moving east, whether it's Arizona, Texas, Idaho, Montana. How how has that affected your business, your values, right? So what were, I mean, you kind of mentioned that in your book. You even have five, I think you in one of your books, you have five financial truths. Is that right? That That's correct. The, the, so the full title of the book, and, and it, it was kind of my my first effort to say, hey, we've been very fortunate. Maybe Maybe we're more lucky than good, but I want to share. I want to just how this average by every definition of the word, average American person was able to just just be be successful, and and it's not rags to riches. I'm not trying to portray that, right. but but I wanted to identify the five truths that I followed or applied in my life. And and the actual title of the book is "Millionaire on a Worker's Budget: Five fin- Financial Truths to Build Wealth." And so, in addition to the truths, there's like 27 tips that kind of enable enable you to live the truth. And there's also, I call it a notional subject that we follow over the course of 25 years with, with kind of modest incomes. And, but, but Hey, they, they get enough money for their first house and guess what? They don't buy a, 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 a nice little brick home. They, they buy a duplex and they live in one side of it and, and Hey, and that enabled this and that and the other. And they, they, they got some education and some certifications. And next thing you know, in 20 years or so, they, they built a over a million dollars net worth. So, and I, and I show the math on all that. So it's not just, just conjecture, but I, I really, first and foremost, to, to build wealth on a worker's budget, you, you've got to invest early and often. I started at age 23 when I got out of college and I was about five years too late, in my opinion, but, but you've got to be a super saver. And then the second one is being frugal. I'm actually working on a book right now just about living a frugal life. I call it, you got to avoid that champagne taste on a beer budget. And so, so being frugal, it's been a big part of my life. And it, it doesn't mean being cheap or, or not, right. not getting what you need, but, but just recognizing value. The third is collect rent, don't pay it, which kind of spun off into its own own mm-hmm. book. And obviously I'm a big, big fan of real estate. I just feel like if you look around at, at wealthy people or successful people, generally, usually they they're not paying rent their whole lives. They, they own property, be it acreage, be it apartments or houses or, or whatever. They, they own property. So, And then the, the last two, be diligent. It's more than just working an extra shift. It's never walk past a wrong. If you see those shingles on the roof flapping, don't wait till it starts leaking and tears up the drywall on the ceiling. Call a roofer immediately. Mm. And, and just diligence is, is important to building wealth. 
And then the last, knowledge is money. And we all think, yep, you got to have some sort of certification or licensure or a degree or whatever. And and I do believe that's true. You got to, or you need, it, it helps. Let me just say that. But it's also... You know, in my experience, it's it's hard to build wealth if you're if you're not a do-it-yourselfer, and if you're paying somebody to do things for you, and and we're not all mechanically inclined. I I, I know I'm not, but what we've got YouTube, and you can figure out how to <laughs> replace that faucet or fix the fix the innards of a toilet tank, and those are all just really simple jobs that if you call a plumber, it's going to be 150 bucks. Do it yourself, it's 10, and 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 you build wealth. In a way, it's it's other passive income streams by by consolidating and 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 doing it yourself. So so those are the five truths I've reflected. Yep, they still hold true. I, I published this book about three years ago, and yep, I stand by my guns. Yeah, a lot of things are sentiments that I've heard. Those diehard truths, right? Where you're being frugal. I remember the show. It was the because when you mentioned the champagne dreams and or no beer. Champagne taste on a beer budget. Yeah, yes. Yeah. How can our listener, if they're kind of late in the game, let's just say maybe they're in their 30s or 40s, and they're kind of on a, a shortened timetable, is there something that you'd suggest to them to kind of get ahead, even though they're maybe they're behind the eight ball? Because even when you're you're talking about that in your experience, when you're already in your 20s and you felt that was too late, maybe someone's already in their 30s or 40s and they're way behind the eight ball, right? Yeah. Well, I, so you, you touched on it. I think, you know, what we called it in the military was tactical patience. And <laughs> I, I, I alluded to it earlier and, and it's, it's funny the, you, you talk about the thirties. So again, I, and, and to be fair, I was in the military, I was overseas bouncing around a lot. So, so it's kind of hard to buy a home, but to, again, to, to review the bidding, I was, I was 35 in 2008 mm-hmm. and my wife was almost 38 and that was our first home, a duplex. So it could, I wished I could have done that six, seven, eight years earlier, but what, it worked out fine in my mid thirties. And I I think that's, and and you, I think you said it, you you definitely touched on it, that in our society, it's, it's this instant gratification where we, we graduate college, we, we find a partner, we, we, and we get the first, first home we can afford. Well, maybe we need to rent. I've paid a lot of rent. Who knows? I may be paying rent again, even though I, I believe firmly collect rent, don't pay it. We, we all got to pay rent sometimes mm-hmm. and, and save up that capital and, and make that first home, maybe buy an apartment complex and live in one of the units for four or five years and then go buy your dream home. And, and that's, that requires some self-deprivation and it, it's easy to say, easier said than done, but mm-hmm. that, that's really on, on, on the average Joe or Jane's, salary. I just, I just think that's the reality of it. it. It's not a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know? Yep. I agree. I, I think it's, you have to have patience, right? It's just one of those things where you're going to learn to adjust the, depending on your life circumstances and depending on where you are in your stage of life. I mean, there's some people that are just not ready to make that commitment just because whether they're in college or, or maybe they take some sacrifice, like you're saying, like, that's similar to what my friend did. He bought an apartment complex. It was like a, I think it was like, I can't remember. It was like, might've been an eightplex or something where he, he was renting one of those, one of those rooms or one of those, one of those apartments. And so he, he did that for, I think three or four years. And, and then, 
and then he was on site. So then he was able to over, oversee everything. And so those are kind of the type of sacrifices that you kind of have to make when, and, and he made really, really good. He makes really good money, obviously. And mm-hmm. so, and that's one of the things I've kind of learned from him and other people like you as well, which is great. And because and, and it, it is a long game. So drawing from your experience, what's some key insights that our listeners can implement to grow or monetize their own property or their, to g- generate their own income from their land? So up front, I want to, I want to just put out there, I'm, I am not a, by, by any means an agritourism expert or, or, and, and don't have a lot of experience or, or right. really knowledge about, about the agritourism area, but I did grow up on a farm and mm-hmm. it's funny what that farm, when eventually the family had to sell it and, and, and move on, but just the, the growth and value of the land. But I, the biggest thing I've, I've always loved the two for the two, four, two for one or. So, so I think for me, and this is showing my, my bias towards rental properties, if you could take two or three acres of, of, of land, if you have that, that, that's suitable to, to build either some, some sort of multifamily structure or, or maybe like a bed and breakfast or even, even a stables, you could even have a livestock boarding and, and monetize it in that matter to help support the agricultural operations or livestock operations on, on the rest of the property. And, and kind of complement it. I, I just, I, I think and you could have the Airbnb. There's just such a desire, I think, nowadays to to get away from it all. And if you've got a nice little parcel of land that you could develop, that's that's what I do. And I know that's, that's probably sacrilege for a lot of farmers and to, to have a bunch of bulldozers coming in and pouring concrete, building a, some sort of structure on their land. But I, I, I do believe it, it could complement the, the agritourism mm-hmm. business. I love that idea of just making it into a structure or having, having stable or using it as something that will benefit the, the landowner or the property owner. Just because that's something on this podcast, that's one of our messages is just making sure that people understand that they could have additional income or passive incomes in which they're able to have multiple ways to, to generate income. And, and, and I guess this is kind of an, a plug for what we do as well, because that's something we want to make sure that a lot of landowners or property owners have is that you could utilize that your the very thing that you have. And so there's tons of RVers out there and there's not enough places for them to go. So that's one of the reasons why we have our platform called Curb and Turf, where if there's just so many RVers looking for places to go, there's literally like a half million of these RVs being produced and just not, not enough campsites. There's like 18,000 campsites. And so there's an inherent problem within the RV industry. And so there's a huge need for RVers to go to these destinations. And a lot, a lot of RVers love kind of having those experiences, whether it's being on land, being on a farm and having that experience, like you were saying, kind of getting out of the city or, or, and having experiences. So that's something that any property owner can do is go to our website. If you go to www.curbandturf.com, com. We have information there on how you could offer up part of your driveway or a section of your property and have people on there. And you charge however you feel is the appropriate amount. And so that's another cool thing that we offer. How have you known to go from to acquiring another property? How is What's kind of the things that you look for to looking for those investments? Well, Again, I, I use 
capitalization rate and you ask 10 different investors, how do you figure cap rate? And they, you'd get 10 different answers. Right. I've got a way that I figure it. I, I share it in my book, but, but essentially it's just the, the, the net income relative to the purchase price reflected as a percentage. So roughly about a 10% cap rate would be perfect, in my opinion. And if you're willing to accept risk and you get down to a 7% or 8%, that's fine too. But again, it's a math problem. So in, in real estate though, I will back up. What is the number one rule of real estate? Location, location, right. location. Yeah, that that is a truth. It's definitely in my my book. In the rental property business, if you're if you're looking at the dilapidated little home from the 20s in the rough part of town, sure, there may be a revitalization in 10, 20 years. There, there may not be. You, you've got to really think about location, and then and then work the math. the The last thing I would say is is maybe your financing. You've got to keep, and this this kind of ties into the financial truce. As long as you're you're you're, you're frugal and you're saving and you're diligent, you're paying your bills on time and, and those things. Now you got to have your financing. It's not always a business loan or a loan from the bank. There's, there's creative opportunities out there. I'll share this. I, I have bought a, one of our little, uh, little condos here and, and they were just going for amazing prices when we first got here in 2015. I, I've paid for a majority of one with a, a credit card loan. They get the 0% for 18 months. And, and so what you do is, is you just, all the other properties, any of the profit from that, I paid it off in, in 18 mm-hmm. months. I don't know, probably probably restrictions on what you're supposed to use those things on, but that was a that was a way to get some capital at zero percent. Part of our business model, how we could do that is we didn't start really taking owner draws until I retired from the military. So mm-hmm. everything we made from our rental property investments, we just invested back into the the business. So it it, it really snowballs very quickly, and that takes some discipline because hey, you got when you've got one property and let's say you net $300 a month, it's like $300, all this work. But then when you get 10, you're looking at, hey, that's $5,000 a month or, or $3,000 or $4,000, whatever, whatever the, the margin may be there. And, and to not touch that, but it'll compound very quickly. And then, hey, go buy some more properties or, mm-hmm. or go in a different business venture, maybe into agritourism. Right. So. I mean, that's really good because, and that is creative just because you're going off, especially on the credit cards where it's the 0%, you're utilizing that interest rate. And then you're, you're not, you're mitigating those risks and offering more capital just because you're not having to pay the interest. That's, I never heard that. I mean, that's, that's really cool. I mean, cause you do have to be creative and I've heard a lot of that, just having, having that creative financing or, or thinking of different ways to, to to finance, but not putting yourself at risk, right? Because that's the whole, yeah. that's the whole point of it. It's just, you don't want to put yourself in unnecessary risk just because then, then it's just like house of cars and it comes tumbling down. Well, that's, that's the caveat and and just the disclaimer there. And, and I, I threw that out as kind of maybe an extreme method of creative right. financing, but it, it does take incredible discipline because you've got this, okay, 18 months, let's say you can get $20,000, 0% for 18 months. Great. Why not? You got to pay that off in eighteen months. Otherwise, you're going to get killed and on interest, and it's going to could could potentially suck you down into a place you don't want to be. So we got to know ourselves. Yes, I've got the discipline to to pay this off. And so, kind of kind of explain that with I guess your relationship with your your wife. How is she involved in in some of these 
So, so I guess she's the CEO and I'm the, <laughs> I'm the maintenance guy. I go, I go out and fix the toilets, but no, it, very, very, very fortunate. Interesting fun fact. My wife, she, she hails from Korea and her family. And, and I tell you, foreign real estate investing is completely foreign, or at least in Korea to, to the way we do it in the States. But her family has actually dabbled in real estate, not, not super big time, but but they've always exchanged properties and, and, and done pretty well with it. So it was kind of in her DNA. And my family had had owned a property too. Like I said, I, I grew up on a farm and the, so it was just seemed like a natural progression. And it, it was, it's been tough on her at times, some sacrifices again, when maybe some of the other families are enjoying their big backyard and their, their lovely little brick home were We've got a, a tiny little yard and, and cramped into one side of a duplex and can hear everything the neighbors are doing next door. But, uh, but we're, it's, it's just enabled so much for our family, our kids, kids college. We're, we're on track to be able to, to get them through school, debt-free, early retirement for, for me, hopefully, here in a few years. Just uh, And it's given us a hobby, too. Like mm-hmm. she, does, she does a lot of the tenant-facing interaction. She shows the properties because I... I do another fun fact. I've, I've maintained a day job. I, I, my, my passion is, is writing, doing the real estate on the weekends, but my job, I still have a day job. So hopefully we'll be able to, to move on from that in a few years, but it's, it's just done so much for us. And she's, she's hung in there for the past 22 years now. That's awesome. And that speaks volumes to your guys' relationships because my wife's also from another country. She's from Puerto Rico and there's definitely some similarities where her family, they have property and stuff like that. And so it's just like, once you have that, that partner where you're, you align, it just makes things obviously so much easier. I mean, <laughs> if it wasn't, then I'm sure you probably wouldn't you know, be doing what you're doing, but at the same time, how do you, cause you mentioned that you actually do have a, a, a job, a full-time job. So how do you find, how are you balancing spreadsheets and what you're doing full-time to like, how do you manage your time? Well, well, it is, it is tough. It's you work eight, nine, 10 hours a day at your, at your day job. Then you come home and there's, there's always something in this passive operation today, for instance. So today was my day off. I'm I'm fortunate. My employer, I get every other Friday off, but I was doing pest control at our duplexes out. So I was out in, in the sweltering heat spraying for bugs and had, had some other, did some bookkeeping on, on some of our properties, even, even the ones in Texas that are managed had a refrigerator that went out. So last week I'm, I'm coordinating with the, the, the Lowe's delivery guide to, to drop a refrigerator at a house in Texas, 900 miles away. So it's, it's a, it's a sacrifice. Like, like I said earlier, the risk is to time, but but the reward, the, the risk to reward is we're thankful we have two two very intelligent sons. They they took after their mom, not me. And one got into a really great school. He's in his second year of college. And the the passive income or our, our business, rental businesses is really enabling that. And and so just, just very thankful. That's awesome. Because that, that's one of the things that a lot of people, I hope, realize is that they can not only set them themselves up for success, but their children, or it's kind of like providing generational wealth. I want to get also get your opinion on this because a lot of people invest in obviously having Airbnbs. And what's your opinion of having Airbnb as an investment versus having long-term tenants? I mean, is that something you guys looked into or something that you've, or like, what's your opinion on, on, on that? So, 
and that might be yeah, that might be should. open pen, pen, Pandora's box. I'm not sure. So yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I would, I've would like to learn more about Airbnb. I, 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 the way I'm played around in my head now is buying a lake house. So, so where I think that's going to play for us, and and I see this actually. My dad has he owned a, a duplex. He he lived in it for for 25 years or so. He, he owned it for about 40. In a, in a big metropolitan area and, and starting to get old and starting to have some major problems. But still, he, he sold it for a tremendous profit, but he did a 1031 exchange mm-hmm. and avoided the capital gains and the depreciation recapture burden. So so honestly, we're, we're kind of at that stage, even though we've only been in the business since 2008, 15 years, we've got a number of properties. I'm already starting to think divestment plan, rather pass on. I, I don't know that I want to pass on some of these assets. I'd rather pass it in a different form. So right. so coming back to the Airbnb, what I'm thinking, maybe maybe that 1031 exchange for a for a, a duplex for a, a beach condo or a, right. or a lake house. And, and then you can either obviously get a management company or a lot of folks will just do it themselves. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of a chronic do-it-yourselfer. So, so maybe Airbnb would be a good option. And I, I don't think I've finished the thought. My, my dad did that with his duplex. He at, at almost the age of 80, really? he, he wow. did a 1031 exchange and bought a, a beachfront condo. I was like, what are, what are you thinking? <laughs> he doesn't even go down there very often, but it's, he avoided the capital gains and, and for your heirs, at least the way the tax law is written now, heirs don't, don't inherit the, the depreciation. So the, the basis resets. So that's kind of in his thought process. And, and those are things that you can work with an estate planner or but that, I th- that's where I'd see Airbnb coming in as you maybe get away from duplexes and apartment buildings and things like that. Although although you could still do it, short-term rentals and stuff with an Airbnb and get more maybe to to, to more short-term specific properties. Right. Yeah, because that's one of the things that my friend does. He actually, him and his brother, they, they bought a place. There's a lake in Idaho that's really become a kind of destination area. And that's something that he's been doing and not only that he's been able to benefit having that for his family using that as a vacational vacation property and and still not having the risk of having a long-term tenant we could still have that passive income but there's still obviously the the risk of having people in and out but again if you're having some kind of management company doing that for you that probably mitigates a lot of that risk as well and you mentioned one of one of one of the five secrets or the five the five financial truths that came from your first book spun off to your second book, which was collect rent and don't pay it, right? So how how did that lead into its own separate book? Well again, it was it was just such a big part of my financial journey, our financial journey, that I just think it but part of my part of my writing journey, I love to write and and love to bang out bang out a thousand word or eight hundred word blog, which takes in whatever, 10, 15, 20 minutes. But when you do 150 pages, 50,000 words, it, 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 you really got to think about something. And mm-hmm. I just had all these thoughts about about everything we've experienced in the rental property business. And I just wanted to, and, and a lot of it's stuff that we learned the hard way that we screwed up. And I just wanted to get it on paper. So that's that's just as you're, as you're thinking through writing and, and kind of your outline, how you want to organize your thoughts into 150 or so pages, Hey, hey! These are the five financial truths, and these are twenty-seven tips. And and oh, by the way, here's an example of, of, of how you do it. And then let me tell you all about the rental properties. So, and and again, I it's kind of I felt compelled. Like I said, I'm working on a, a book about for being frugal, 
that I hopefully I'll have done in about a year with all the other stuff going on. It, sometimes it takes a while to sit down and bang out pages. I have a friend that does a similar thing where he has a, a newsletter and he's able to, so now he has a, a following. He has a group of people where he's able to hit up and bounce ideas or get, get people's opinions and say, Hey, what, what is it that you guys want to hear from me or what? And so it's really good, good to have that sounding board. I'm sure you probably assume you come across that in the reviews that you get from Amazon or from other things that you, you review as well. So how's, how's from hearing others kind of shaped your opinion, your, your process and in, in writing? So I, I do appreciate the reviews. That, that's, I think that's, I'm learning and, and I'm, I'm a novice writer. I've been, been doing it for four years. So I'm learning every day. And I, and I, you're more I of an we expert talking. than I'll ever be. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were talking earlier about, about, you said you, you love to learn and, and I'm, I definitely love to learn and, and learning about writing. So, so some things I am learning, you're right. Reviews are, are, the, are definitely the, the lifeblood, if you, if you will, of, of, for an author. But that being said, my, my number one thing is, is that it's, it's just, it's therapeutic for me to, to get out. It's cathartic to, to get the word out. And then secondarily, I, I, I feel like hopefully I can give back, especially my, my, my free books for, for soldiers or military mm-hmm. that may be interested in those things or, or friends or family of the military. And then, and then to, to get out the things and, and just talking business and being, being frank here. So most writers will tell you it's, it's not a big, huge income making endeavor. I didn't realize how much advertising was involved and, and how expensive advertising can be. Even you can am- advertise on Amazon. So so you definitely have more expenses than, than profits. And, and I'll just say anytime you're operating a business, that is that can be helpful for tax purposes. When, right. Sometimes when you're operating at a loss for, for at least three out of five years. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's all intertwined. But first and foremost, the, the biggest thing is just, just a passion, something I've enjoyed hope I'll, I'll stick to it while I can still see the, the screen and my, my fingers still work on the keyboard, but I think I got a few more years. No, I think, I think you have a, a couple more books coming out of you. And, I and hope so. <laughs> so what are, what are something that the listeners can look forward to in your, your book about being frugal? Well, the, the big thing is recognizing value and, 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 value in, in goods and materials and value in services, going back to doing it yourself, that again, that's a, a core component of, of being frugal. Again, if you're, if you're charging, if you're calling a plumber every time you need to replace the innards on your toilet tank, you're, you're, you're wasting about 140 bucks. And, and most people can do that, but that's just one example. And, and going back to the champagne taste on a beer budget analogy, a, a story I love to tell is a very young second lieutenant. I was stationed in the 82nd Airborne Division in Fort Bragg. Well, it was Fort Bragg at the time. And I had a platoon party and, and of course, had a had a, a keg there of American, I don't, I don't even remember what it was, but right. one, one of the one of the mass-produced American brands. And and all my, my young soldiers, and they they brought their own. They brought their, and this was back in the mid-90s, they, they brought their own little import beers and things like that. And, and I just remember, I was raised different. If somebody said free beer, you had me at hello. Right. And, and that's just kind of a an example of how avoid the, the champagne taste on a beer budget. Yep. I, I think that's, it's super key because a lot of people, I mean, my wife, she may have, she has different, differing opinions. She'd much rather call the plumber or <laughs> not rely on me so much, but I, 
I'm actually love doing that because I, and that's one of the things I, because I also grew up on, on a farm and I think that's kind of where I get that, right. Where I, it's kind of do it yourself. If you're, when you're on a farm, there may not be anybody coming, right. <laughs> so you better fix it yourself. Yep. And, and yeah, that's just, just how I was raised, you know? Yep. And I, I think that's so, so much for so many people. And we're fortunate that we have being being blessed with the age of the internet, like you mentioned earlier, that we have pretty much all the answers on YouTube, you're, you, you could look how to fix the toilet, do, do so many things. I've learned so many things just by, by learning from others or, and, and then all, and then you're playing that forward just because you're providing that in a book. A lot of people are, are still that way where they need a book or they need to read and, and kind of learn that way. And cause, and, and that's, a, a, that's awesome just because a lot of people are, are wired that way because they may want the answer now, but at least they, they have the answer. And then, and then they, they have, at least they have the knowledge to do it. There's so many things that you kind of just lose over, over time because you're not, if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. Right. And, and, and that's where my blog comes in really leading investing living. And I, I try to kind of vary the topics, but it's more current events a year or so ago when we were getting our oldest son ready to go to college and the college application process. I mean, it was totally different than what it was for me 30 years ago and just so complex. And, and mm-hmm. so write about it, talk about it and uh, yep. share with others. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. And that's something that I think all our listeners can appreciate is because that you're, you plan it forward and then providing that information to others. And that, and then we're going to link all your information. You can actually order his books through his website. If you go to normspivey.com, N-O-R-M-S-P-I-V as in Victor, E-Y.com, um, order his books through there. He also has his blog. You could, He has tons of information, a wealth of information, and, and it's been good just having you on the podcast. Thank you. So is there anything else, any other advice or any final thoughts or advice that you'd like to share with our listeners just a couple of quick things. Just don't give up on your dreams. That's, that's, I try to stress that to our, to our kids and, and probably another thing, and we've talked about it a little bit through here, but don't turn your back on, on the math or physics numbers. Mm-hmm. Don't lie. If, it, if, if you can't get the math to work, it, it may be time to go in a different direction. This, this, again, this was a great opportunity and I, I really appreciate being able to, to, to come on the podcast, Dustin, but, and we've talked about business, about maybe how to how to make a buck, but you've got to stay balanced. And, and I've struggled with that. There was a general that I, I, I really respected, just a great leader. And he, he told me one time, because sometimes military folks and especially military officers, they, they get balanced way out of whack. And, mm-hmm. and he told me, he said, on your deathbed, on your deathbed, you're not going to, you're not going to think to yourself, I wish I'd spent more time at work. So, and that, that just resonated with me. And I, I try to remind myself of that when you're, or maybe you're pushing too hard or, or something. So uh, you gotta, gotta stay balanced. Right? I, I appreciate you mentioning that because sometimes we expect things to come fast and we're not either we're, we overcompensate or we don't, we need to have that balance and whatever that balance looks like for you, it's going to be different, obviously. I mean, but I mean, t- typically that looks like spending time with family or like you were saying, spending time with loved ones, doing things that, that are not stressful people could look towards you as an example to, to see, Hey, like I could, I could do this. I can have this balance. Even if it's starting a little later, it sounds like you, you even started 
little later than you want, than you preferred. And I think that's everyone's story <laughs> there. I wish I was started years earlier or whatever it is, but it's not too late. I mean, the, the huge thing is having a piece of property, having your own piece of land, because that's probably the biggest investment anyone can make in, in their life. Because that's something that's, like I said, they don't make, you're not going to make more like any more of it. Right. That's right. And so I think I love having you on and, and encouraging our listeners to look and having that balance and then providing those, those key fundamental things that you outline in your book. So I invite anyone that's listening to the podcast just to, to check out Norm's blog, check out his books. We really appreciate you, Norm, being on the podcast with us. It's been great. And let us know when you write your your fifth book. <laughs> yeah. And when that comes out, we I love to hear about that and get some of those principles that you're mentioning earlier and kind of we'll kind of touch base then hopefully as well. Sounds great, Dustin. I'd appreciate that. And thank thank you again for the opportunity here to 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 talk to the recurring plot audience and wish you all the best. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. Curb and Turf works like Airbnb, but we help RVers to find land where they can park when they're traveling. Make more money from your land. Please visit CurbandTurf.com to list your property.